everyone and welcome back to Bandora's Palace, a tokusatsu podcast home to monsters in rubber suits, heroes in full body spandex, and giant robots made of other smaller giant robots. I'm Steven. And I'm Pat. And we will be your guides into the campy and awesome world of tokusatsu. Today, we'll be going back to fictional 90s Tokyo to hang out with some ancient dinosaur knights in Kyoru Sentai Zio Ranger. I really loved the last stretch of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers that we watched. I'm still super excited to get back to Zio Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> no, me too. Like, the last episode was very good for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but I'm, I just get excited when we have Zio weeks. I think for me personally, it's the difference between watching something, rewatching something you've watched a million times and watching something dope for the very first time. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in any given episode of Z Ranger. I don't have the slightest clue. And that's really, really exciting. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good part of it. Like, I, I have no idea what's going to come next. And I'm super excited for it. Now, guys, today's episode of Kia Ryu Sentai Z Ranger is episode seven. I can see, I can see, or Myru, Myru, Miru, Myru, Japanese. I think it's, I think it's Miru. <laughs> Maybe it's Miru. I don't know. The episode went through it in about a third of a second. It, so it I barely heard it. <laughs> uh, this episode was written by Noboru uh, Sujimura, as they all have, but also by Kenichi Araki. This is the first episode thus far in the season that was not written solely by Sujimura. Uh, and it was directed by Shohei Tojo, which is far from a first. This episode originally aired on April 10th of 1992. Now, Pat. Patrick, we are finally past the setup stage of ZU Ranger. All the pieces are on the board. Our Rangers have their weapons, their guardian beasts, and their Megazord. And as near as I can tell, without actually peeking ahead, this is our first one-parter self-contained episode of the season in episode seven, which is madness to me. Pat, is there anything in particular that you hope to see out of this particular episode? I think it's time for Zeo Ranger to start catching up to Mighty Morphin, actually, in character development. Getting to know, like, some of our, uh, our heroes as, as people, you know, seeing some of their, uh, personality traits and quirks and things like that. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, we've gotten a lot of, like, big, meaty, weighty, like, overarching plot development, and, like, 
now's a really good time to throw some filler episodes in and just like maybe the stuff that happens isn't super important but like we get to see our heroes in new and interesting situations uh get to see them like react to different stimulus and, and learn about them that way um and again this is the first one parter so if i I, I have a pretty good reckoning that that's what we're going to get, but hopefully that's what we get. We're, we're definitely due for it. Yeah, I hope so. Now, as always, today's episode and the entirety of Z-Ranger, along with an embarrassment of riches of classic vintage tokusatsu, is all available streaming for free on Shout Factory TV. Uh, so be sure to check that platform out if you have not already. Even if you're not interested in watching tokusatsu shows, like if you consume that medium just by listening to me and Pat talk about it twice a week, more power to you. We're going to keep doing it. But like Shout Factory TV has a lot of really good old TV. They have the entirety of the original run of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which I found the other day and I about shit myself enjoy. Um, so show some love to Shout Factory. It's a, it's a fantastic platform that charges you zero dollars. All right. Well, that being said, let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. I can see. I can see. Okay, so we are back in Z Ranger and we open on a little boy. We don't know this little boy. This is not Hiroshi. Just some little boy in a yellow sweatshirt, nervously holding a present and watching a little girl and her mom who have gone on a bike ride and are like parking their bikes at the bike rack. And it quickly becomes apparent that the present that he's holding is for this particular little girl and that this little boy has a big old crush on her. Like he's under his breath uh, practicing telling her that he loves her, uh, which is a little much for an eight year old. But but do you, bud, I guess. Um, and, and her name for the record is her name is Michiko. Uh, and he's just, I love you, Michiko. I love you, Michiko. Under his breath, looking at her, which is a real creepy look. Uh, <laughs> finally, he gets his courage up. He runs over to give her the present. And she does a very Japanese thing where she sticks her tongue out at him and pulls down her eyelid and basically just tells him to fuck off before running after her mom. There was a hell of a rejection. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, the kids are kids are harsh, man. Kids are hard fucking core. However, before this little girl catches up to her mom, she is distracted by accordion music. Ba -ba -bom. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the fucking nasty gnome is here. <laughs> <laughs> so Michiko points and tells her mom that there's a monster playing the accordion. But like mom looks right at him and sees nothing. She cannot see him. Which is interesting, right? Like, this is the first time we've had this particular problem. Uh, so she tells her daughter that she's being silly and keeps going as Michiko watches the monster that is playing in front of her. And we get the title shot. And the meaning of the title, I can see, I can see, suddenly becomes extremely clear. So... Nasty Gnome jumps down and he starts singing and playing as he dances in a circle around the little girl. And the little boy watches in horror as the monster is officially introduced to us as Dora Goblin, which I am 100% on board for. This thing is 100% more goblin than it ever was known. 
So this is clearly the correct interpretation. Yeah, it definitely made a lot more sense. It was like, oh, Dora Goblin. It's like, oh, yeah, of course. Look at that face. Of course it is. (laughs) That is not the face of a gnome. I played World of Warcraft for longer than I am entirely comfortable admitting that is not a gnome. I've seen gnomes in gardens. That's not a gnome. (laughs) So Dora Goblin is dancing in a circle and he's singing, you'll get lost, you'll get lost. And we can see Michiko's mom like trying to talk to her in the background, but we can't hear her, which is like a really cool effect, kind of showing like her mental state a little bit, I guess. And she starts spinning in a circle faster and faster. We get shots of a distorted clock that's spinning crazily and of... Michiko running through flashes of assorted scenery, just like running in place as the scenery moves behind her before suddenly she is standing stock still next to like a bus stop sign that says to Goblin Station as a bus pulls up. It's all extremely weird and surreal, and it quickly makes it apparent that she is under some sort of spell. Did it say station or salon? I definitely thought it said Salon. I read to Goblin Station. Goblin Salon comes up later. So maybe it does say Goblin Salon. Uh, Maybe that was the Mandela effect being like buses go to stations. I don't know. (laughs) That's entirely possible. So the the door to this bus opens and it is Bookback and Topat inside. And they're both wearing like cruise ship captain hats. Bookbacks is way too small for his very large head, <laughs> which is kind of humorous. And Topat is driving the bus. Use what you got. So they usher Michiko inside and she goes like a little she goes like she's a little vacant, but seemingly she's coming in willingly. Uh, and as she sits down, we see that the bus is full of other children. Uh, Bookback calls out, next stop, some other town, and demands the bus fare from Michiko. And apparently the fare to ride in this bus is the souls of children. <laughs> like her heart jumps out and lands in his hand. And like there, it turns into like this green plastic ball. And there's an image of Michiko inside it, pounding on the walls and begging for help as her physical body just sits and stares blankly ahead. Like that ball, that ball is like, help me. I can't breathe. And I'm yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Z Ranger not here to fuck around when it comes to trying to kill kids. <laughs> no, they're, they're doing their damnedest. So we cut quickly up to Bandora, who explains that if she takes the minds of all the children, the Earth will lose its future and be destroyed. So, A, apparently Bandora has patience and is playing a very long game here. And, and B... We are now 444 on evil plots from Bandora that directly target children. Like, the children aren't collateral damage. It's not like a gimmick where one time she's like, if I attack their children, they'll lose their nerve. Like, no, she is 100% of the time attacking kids, which is definitely a choice. She also got real, real testy, if you will remember, when asked what her problem with kids is. So... There's more here. There has to be. And like, I'm really excited that there is that degree of continuity where she has a chip on her shoulder and she is behaving in that way, like across multiple different stories and episodes. And and I only hope that it pays off. Yeah, no, I like her, her hatred of children. I really want to see like come around by the end of the season. But if you remember at the beginning of the season, like episode one, she said, I hate children. And, you know, it's, 
I mean, it, it's it kind of fits her mo to just keep going after him. Yeah, and I again, I forget if it was Griffy or Topat, but somebody just like asked her like, "What is it your was, problem it was with Pleppercon. kids?" It was Pleppercon. That's right, because that was the first time she ever got actual mad mad at him. That's yeah. right, because that was a big deal. Ah, ah, the the layers. It's like a it's like a Shrek. It's like an onion. It's got layers. It's very good. <laughs> I like it a lot. It's like a Shrek. <laughs> it's like a, a Shrek. single Shrek. As unto a Shrek. <laughs> I also think it's really neat that just like there are a lot of children in season one of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers that are like those those episodic characters that we've talked about. And like I had speculated in the past that like, huh, I wonder if that's just like so kids will connect with the show better or like feel like closer to these characters. But like it's starting to become very apparent that the reason there are so many kids in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers season one in particular is because there's so many kids in Z Ranger and they have footage to match, which I, I think is good actually. Uh, and, and just kind of, again, like really sells home the point that a lot of what made season one Mighty Morphin special and sold it, you really couldn't have gotten, I don't think at least not to that degree with a different season of Super Sentai. I absolutely agree. So, yeah, we cut back down to Earth, where the little boy and Michiko's mom are just calling her name and desperately looking for her. And the bus, the same bus, it starts to drive by down the regular-ass street. And again, the mom definitely sees the bus there, but she doesn't notice anything out of the ordinary. But the little boy definitely does. He sees Dora Goblin. I don't think he's driving, but he's near the front. And he definitely sees Michiko sitting inside in one of the seats. So he starts chasing it and just losing his shit screaming. We then, at this point, very abruptly jump to the secret underground dino shrine. And apparently we are mid-conversation because we just zoom in on a very confused Dan face going, <laughs> lost children? And I'm just immediately like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a Dan episode, huh? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, yeah, it started that way, and I'm like, "Mm, I'm concerned. Yeah, I I have definite issues. (laughs) Although, Uh, with the children, I could have very easily seen it as a May episode. Yes, and and overall, I think that would have been preferable, at least at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But May is who he's speaking to, and and shortly the camera kind of pans around to show that they're all there. It's not just the two of them. Uh, But May clarifies to him that there have been a lot of missing children in the last few days. Though she does clarify that they've all been found, which... I immediately found strange considering we just saw a busload of them driving off to some other town. Uh, but we quickly see what happened there because May puts her hand on some kind of crystal pedestal button thing and an image appears on the wall. And that image is of a doctor's office where par- parents are frantically panicking over dozens of lifeless children who are just standing or sitting and, and staring blankly. And These are the children from the bus. Like, you might not recognize all of them immediately since we only got a shot of them, but Michiko is here. Uh, and her mom is crying over her and, and it's, it's very like sad and a little disconcerting as a parent, uh, to see kids just like dolls. So Dan in particular, like they're all upset. Dan is horrified and 
Again, we see the little boy from the beginning run on screen, yelling at the parents and the doctor that he saw it. A monster took them and did this to them. We have to get the monster. And credit where credit is due, Dan immediately goes, okay, we got to find this kid. He knows about the fucking monster. Uh, so, little boy, someone believes you. <laughs> So we cut to commercial, and when we come back, we are in a new scene, and the rangers have found this kid. They're at some sort of park near a fountain, and apparently the little boy has, like, already told them what he saw. May is just immediately like, that is some goblin-ass shit. A goblin did it. <laughs> and Geki's like, aren't goblins legendary evil creatures from the West? Which may be overstating the importance of fucking goblins in Western lore, <laughs> Geki. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's got it's got the Viking helmet. Maybe it's uh I I wanna say goblins or something of that nature are are somewhat prevalent in uh Scandinavian mythology. Maybe, man. I maybe all I, all I, I don't know. know is like Western fantasy as we know it did not really exist before Lord of the Rings. Like obviously like there was ancient folklore that Tolkien drew on when writing his epic, but like, I'm just saying calling goblins, legendary evil creatures is maybe a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Like these yeah. are, these are the, C the, the CR one fourth, like bullshit monsters from your local fucking monster manual. Uh, this is not like the, the great big bad of Western society, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, Goshi chimes in. They can only be seen by children. They trick them and eat their minds. And the little boy just panics immediately. He's just like, it ate Michiko's mind, which <laughs> I mean, that, Fair. that feels like a, yeah, that's a, that's a, a reasonable response. Yeah. Uh, so everyone just immediately pauses being concerned and upset about these missing, potentially eaten children to just mercilessly tease this little boy for having a crush. There's like, oh, who's Michiko? Is she your girlfriend? Everyone, they are all participating, at least at a very base level. Like Geki and Goshi kind of like stand aloof of it, but they're still like cheesing and grinning as Dan and May, May of all fucking people, are just giving him shit, going, oh, I bet that presents for her. What'd you get her? And this poor little boy is just like melting from embarrassment and is just like, shut up, you stupid adults. Go take care of the goblin. I'm coming too. Also a reasonable response, I think. <laughs> Like, yeah, we just established children are in danger, May. Like, get off your fucking shipping horse and go help some kids. Uh, but Geki's just, like, tr shuts him down immediately. It's just like, the fuck you are coming with us. You're a child. Sit the fuck down. Um, which, ordinarily, yes, good call, Geki. But we just established only children can see this monster. So maybe an exception is warranted here. <laughs> that, that would make sense. But we, we see, like, 30 feet away, the goblin comes on screen. He is chasing a group of children until it finally catches one. And the little boy is just like, there, they're a goblin. It's go time. Go punch him. And the rangers just stand around confused. They see a little kid struggling, seemingly against thin air. And even though Goshi just said only children can see it, they are utterly mystified. No one thinks, hey, maybe I should go kick the air that is holding that child. 
This little boy gives not a single fuck, though. He runs in and just tries to diving grapple this fucking goblin. He calls it an idiot and tries to jump on its back, and it just kind of, like, puts its palm in his face and shoves him on the ground, which, as someone with little brothers, like, yes, that is yep. that is how that is done. That's exactly <laughs> how that's done. Uh, Sidora Goblin calls him a noisy brat, and he pulls out his accordion and he starts to play, which causes, like, the whole like under my spell sequence, the weird clock, the running motion and blurry backgrounds, all of it. Little boy is under his spell and Dan and boy are immediately distraught. Like they run in to help finally. And it upsets me that Dan is the first one to get off his bullshit and come help. (laughs) Dan, Dan is kind of on top of things this episode so far. Dan still dans it up a couple times, but like, oh, yes, definitely. Th- this is a significant Dan improvement. We cut quickly up to the moon in Bandora's palace where Bandora is yelling to Dora Goblin that, hey, like those guys, those people chasing you, those are the Zia Rangers. Like, watch out. And Pleppercon is just gassing himself up for making a monster that's invisible to adults. He's just like, man, I'm so awesome. Nobody else would have done that. Good job, Pleppercon. And yeah, honestly, good fucking yeah. job, Pleppercon. Did a good thing. That's some good strategy right there. Uh, We cut back to Dora Goblin, who, like, jumps off a fucking bridge, yelling goblin (laughs) at the top of his lungs, just jumps, yells goblin, and and smacks Dan and Boy in the head. (laughs) And they're helpless to defend themselves because they can't see him. They just get bitch slapped and fall on the ground. And Dora Goblin just starts giving them the invisible business as a crowd of onlookers watches. And what are they doing? (laughs) Props to the actors here. They do a great job of getting their shit kicked in by fucking nothing at all. Because this shit is convincing as they are just getting beat up by thin air. We cut to the creepy bus stop where the bus once again pulls up. But this time... This little boy breaks the trance. He just starts yelling. The The creepy clock breaks and we can see that the bus is not in like some strange wooded forest. It is feet from the Z Rangers. And Bookback like reaches off and grabs the kid and tries to drag him on, yelling for Topat to hurry up and drive. And Dan sees now and rushes to intercept, grabs the kid, and they just play tug of war with him as the bus starts going, uh, which is not great. Uh, but Dan manages to pull the little boy away at the last minute, keeping him out of the devil goblin bus. But as they fall backwards, Apparently, they fall into some weird magic dimension. They fall through the ground and land in some quarry that is different from the quarry that was hell, I think. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Um, Maybe. They have very similar looking rocks. Dan helps the little boy up, but he's lost his present for Michiko and he is distraught. Uh, thankfully, however, Dan spots it and gives it back to him. And like they share like a surprisingly like kind moment, considering that this is Dan we're talking about. We then hear a strange disembodied voice welcoming them to the lost world. And we see a sign declaring this to be Goblin Salon. The voice tells them that those who come here can never go back. And of course, that voice is Dora Goblin. And the reason it's a disembodied voice is because Dan is still fucking blind to him and cannot see him. But the little boy sees him clearly as he just starts beating the shit out of Dan again. (laughs) And then the other Z Rangers fall into his dimension for reasons that will never be explained. (laughs) Not even once. They just, they needed to be here. It, It had to happen. 
And the little boy runs over to them and is like, help Dan, the goblin's getting him. And at this point, Geki addresses him by name and we find out his name is Toru, finally, almost halfway through the episode. Uh, And Geki tells him to go hide and the rangers rush in to try to help Dan fight this invisible monster, which goes about as well as you can expect. It goes from Dan getting beat up to all of them getting beat up. With a rake. He's got his big rake and he's just smacking him, just ruckusing him with this rake. And Toru's like over off to the side trying to be like, oh, he's to your left. Go up, go up. It's, it's, they're not listening. They, they do not respect this child. They need to put some respect on his name. Uh, but they are just not doing it. Unfortunately, being up and yelling directions makes Toru noticeable and book back and Topat find him and they grab him up. And he drops his present. He drops his box that he cares so much about in the scuffle. And Bookback picks it up. And guys, now that this box is in Bookback's hands, I remember this box. And I wish I didn't because it's nasty. (laughs) So while Bookback is excitedly stashing away his new pretty box, the Rangers break away. They snatch up Toru and they fucking run. Apparently, at least, we don't actually see any of that. We just see all six of them emerge from a tree line by the weird, creepy bus stop. So apparently this bus stop was always in Goblin Salon. Uh, and Toru's just like, I need that box. Please help me. And Goshi responds, be quiet, kid. We have bigger problems, which he's not wrong. Ultimately, <laughs> just a little insensitive. Now, at this point, May tells us. That there is a legend that if you make a goblin wear his shoes on the wrong feet, he loses his power of invisibility, which, okay, May, that makes as much sense as anything else about this goblin. That's fine. Probably should have mentioned that, like, two ass beatings ago, but it's fine. Maybe she thought they were still children and they could see the goblin. I I don't know, man. They've been asleep for 170 million years. Maybe she was counting on Boy being able to see it because everyone seems to treat him like he's a fucking child. Boy or Dan? (laughs) They're they're both small. So Boy very correctly points out that this is not an actionable plan when the enemy is fucking invisible and they cannot find said shoes. And the camera pans to Toru, who is clearly like deep thinking. And we catch a brief flash of him remembering Dora Goblin beating the shit out of Dan and specifically stepping on his back with his big, big shoes. His eyes light up and he takes off running. Dan tries to stop him, and he just yells back, You guys really suck at this! I'm gonna get my box! Before running away. And save Michiko. (laughs) He he did make a point of saying, I'm gonna save Michiko. Fair. Dan runs after him, and thankfully actually manages to catch him. And is just like... I would hope so. He's like twice the size of that kid. Dan's real bad. (laughs) They're all warriors. He should be able to run and beat an out-foot race an eight-year-old. Maybe, 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 I guess. I don't know. Uh, But Dan catches him and is just like, look, you're being crazy. What is in that box? We know what's in the box, Dan. We've seen that box in the fucking Power Rangers episode. And it is not a suitable present for a little girl, Toru. That being said, the box is going to get some redemption here. As Toru tells us that it's a bug, but it's a caterpillar specifically. And not just any caterpillar, it is the caterpillar of a great purple emperor butterfly. Which, I I don't know if that's a distinction that will matter to most little girls, but it'll certainly matter to some little girls, and I guess hopefully this is one of them. But Dan is just like, kid, 
That's a terrible present for a girl. She is going to slap you. <laughs> and Tori is just like, well, I've been slapped before. Been there, done that. And we get a flashback of him giving Michiko a snake in a box and her slapping the dog shit. <laughs> was it a snake? I thought it was the same the same caterpillar. No, it was a snake. It was, Unless I just saw wrong, it looked like a box that had a snake in it. I didn't look very closely at the dream box. But Dan, who is connected with this clearly very passionate young boy just laughs in his face because at the end of the day, he's still fucking Dan. And he says, quote, you idiot. You have to give a girl something that's important to you, which no, Dan, no, that's not how giving gifts work. You should give her something that will be important and special to her. That's how gifts work, Dan. Uh, look, maybe that's not how they worked 170 million years ago. I don't know. Or maybe Dan just doesn't understand culture because he's been alive for like a week and a half or something. Dan is just so incredibly self-centered that he can't even imagine making the the act of giving a gift to someone else about anyone but himself. That's entirely plausible. So Toru yells back that the caterpillar is special because it came from his dad. And at this point, this episode turns into a very special and very sad type of after school special. We find out that Toru's dad is not a very nice dude. No. Toru's dad was apparently an alcoholic and is currently in prison. So yeah, this episode goes like dark places pretty quickly. But apparently Toru's dad found caterpillar eggs in prison and gave them to Toru and Toru has hatched them into caterpillars himself. So Dan apologizes. This is a kinder and gentler Dan than we saw last episode. And he asks, like, well, what, what about your mom, Toru? And are you ready to get punched in the <laughs> stomach? And, and Toru's just like, well, she died a long time ago. And that's part of what I like about Michiko. She looks like my mom and reminds me of her. Uh, and he also thinks that she's cute and smart. And like. This kid clearly has so much fucking trauma in his life, and I just want to, like, hug him and send him to therapy and take care of him. I did not turn in my permission slip for this feels trip. I, I was not not ready to get the dad in prison, mom dead, double punch, like, just coming home after work. Just like, oh, okay, let's watch this. Boom. Down. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot very quickly. So Dan's just like, all right, kid, you've convinced me. I'll get your caterpillar back. I won't, like, make sure you have competent adult guardianship or, like, see that you get help for your clear emotional trauma uh, and, and misplaced affection for this little girl. I will get the caterpillar, though. <laughs> and Toru is fucking ecstatic. <laughs> One step at a time. We cut to a cave, and at this point, we get the scene from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers episode where Dora Goblin is sitting at a table and playing his accordion, and putties are dancing all around. And as in the, the Power Rangers episode, Topat is cooking, but he's doing so much less grumpily than Babu was. He's just like, boy, I love cooking. And Dora Goblin asks him when the food made from the children's minds will be ready, which makes this immediately a way darker scene than it is otherwise. So if you remember from the Power Rangers episode, Topat just like takes a big ball of colorful balls and dumps them in his skillet. And those are the souls of children. We could hear them scream and sizzle when they hit the pan. I bet they're tasty. <laughs> 
And Bookback's just like, I want some of that. I can't wait. I'm hungry. Good thing I have something. And he pulls out the box and eats the caterpillar. And like, nom, I, nom, had, nom, 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 nom. I had emotions about this the first time, mainly, oh God, that's gross. Why is that in here? But now I'm sad for the caterpillar, which is not an emotion I expected to feel <laughs> in this particular episode. No, I no, no. I was like, uh, no, there goes there goes our our caterpillar. Toru's never gonna get his caterpillar back. Dan's gonna fail his quest. It's very sad. Um so we go to commercial and when we come back, Dora Goblin has finished eating the souls of dozens of children and decides to go nap nap. Uh and Bookback and Topat are ready to snooze too. I, I imagine they're perpetually ready for a nap, if I'm being honest. And same. With everyone asleep, the Z Rangers and Toru all sneak into the cave. And it quickly becomes clear that the plan is for Toru to sneak in, switch Goblin's shoes so the Rangers can see and thus kill him. And Dan's just like, are you sure? And Toru's just like, yeah, I'm going to do it for Michiko. And I don't think I have ever rooted for an eight-year-old romantically in my entire life. But you get her, Toru. You get your girl. So... Toru sneaks in and he gets right up on Dora Goblin, unties his shoes, and we get some cool perspective shots of the Z Rangers watching. And of course, they can't see Dora Goblin. So we just see from their perspective, Toru squatting around a, an empty chair. And it's again, like just like a really good small, like cinematography reminder of the stakes here. And at this point, we cut up to Bandora, who looks through her telescope, and she sees Toru. She yells for Dora Goblin to wake up, and he jumps awake, keeping his shoes on the right feet and spoiling the plan. We get the shot that we saw in the Power Rangers episode that made no sense in that context of the foot the, the footprints on the ground moving as he's just like, ha ha, you almost got me. And Geki, y'all, your boy Geki has the big brain play here. He does it. He after like toru comes back and he's like i almost did it so geki sees those moving footprints on the ground which give him a good idea of where dora goblin is and so he just looks up and he's just like you're right goblin we did switch your shoes we can all see you clearly and he grabs a candelabra and just chucks it at the air above the footprints and he hits dora goblin and topat's just like Oh shit, Dora Goblin, this is bad. Switch your shoes back now. So he does. He sits down and he swaps his shoes, which now explains why we had that whole shoe tying sequence <laughs> in the Power Rangers episode. <laughs> it, it makes so much more sense in context. And now our heroes can see him and they're all, ha! Now we can see you. You've been bamboozled. And everyone fucking panics. Bookback and Topat run away like the cowards they are. And we cut outside for some reason. Like, there's no explanation of why everyone is just suddenly outside. We're just outside now. Immediately out into the quarry. They're at the top of the hill. Everyone is fighting the putties. And it's, it is legitimately a great putty fight scene. I love the putty fight scenes in Z Ranger because they mm -hmm. all use their weapons and they're really good with them. Like, it's really entertaining. Yeah, no, I, I wrote that down too while I was doing it. It's like, ah, oh, this is a, this is a really good unmorphed fight. I love seeing them actually use the legendary weapons as their primary weapons. And like, all of them go through and just beat the crap out of these putties. And it's great. And like, credit where credit's due dan is really fun to watch fighting because like when you're doing stage fighting in particular you can do so much flashy shit with a spear because of its length and like he's very good at it yeah, he is yes 
So at this point, Dora Goblin whips out his accordion and does like a magical sonic attack with it. They all cover their ears and then explode in sparks. Geki calls the morph. They all go dino bucklers and they transform. And at this point, we get our morphed fight. And from this point on, for all of the like combat scenes, like the footage is the Power Rangers footage. Power Rangers cut nothing. It, it is just as quick and to the point as it was in the Power Rangers episode. That's not entirely true. Oh? Power Rangers did, uh, you know, when they jump and hit them with the weapons? Yeah. They did that twice. Uh, Zeo Ranger only did it once. That's right. If anything, it's a little bit longer in Power Rangers. You're right. I had forgotten that. Um, so we get, we get our more fight. Dora Goblin blasts them with his rake. They beat him up with their weapons and then go straight for the howling cannon and he explodes. Specifically, he explodes into rocks, which is kind of interesting. He turns into the mud. He's the, the, Oh, the clay. yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I had never noticed that effect before, but that's really, really neat. Uh, but Bandora just yells down like, you idiot, Dora Goblin, evil spirit sleeping in the ground. Give him power. And she throws her wand and he comes back together into giant Dora Goblin. Uh, Geki calls for the guardian beasts. We summon our zords. And for the first time in Z Ranger, they go straight to Megazord. Uh, so no fucking around with individual zords. And we also get a good close up that the dino crystals are summoned out of their power coins, which is something that now that I see it, I remember from Power Rangers, but mm-hmm. it, it makes the, the dino crystals episode make even less sense. <laughs> yeah. Now that you mention it, we've moved past that now, but I just wanted to take a moment. To be like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, now that you mention it, I'm like, ah, wait, why? Why did we have to find them in a rock wall? I'm very confused now. So but let's move forward. <laughs> so we go to Beast Tank Dino Tanker, which is a name I will never get tired of saying. Uh, it shoots Dora Goblin with eye beams. Dora Goblin shoots back with Rake, and we go full man mode Megazord. Uh, he takes Dora Goblin's own rake from him and just like beats him about the head with it, which I do think is a sequence that was cut from the Power Rangers episode. Yeah, that was cut. We saw him get it away from him. We didn't see him beating him with it. <laughs> right? Like, just see him smack him in the face with his own rake. That was, I I busted up for a couple of moments. It's very good. Um, we do get the cool sequence of Dora Goblin playing his accordion and confusing the whole ass Megazord, which makes a bit more sense in a continuity where the Megazord is theoretically a sentient being. Um, yep. I'm not sure. Like, obviously, the individual Guardian Beasts are sentient, but does it just like, is it an amalgamation of their minds? Does it have its own consciousness? I, I really don't know. I don't know if we'll ever find out, but I'm really curious. Yeah, uh, that mm, hard to answer. Yeah, yeah, and again, if we never get an answer, I'm not upset, but, like, I, I kind of hope we do. I think that'd be kind of neat. And then we get Godhorn. Godhorn, I love Godhorn. <laughs> Geki calls for Godhorn, Megazord holds it up, we do the circle, lightning, slash, monster is murdered, the whole song and dance. It just happens, boom, 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 done. When Dora Goblin explodes, however, what is new here is that the colored balls fly out of the explosion. Uh, they go into windows and back into the hearts of the children who wake up. Um, we get specifically Michiko waking up, calling for her mom, and her mom is ecstatic, of course, that she is back to normal. Uh, at this point, we go to our last commercial break, and when we come back, Megazord is just, like, standing tall in the background, as Toru is just chasing Bookback around, like, threatening to beat his ass and demanding his box back, and Bookback's just like, look, kid, I ate it, I'm sorry! And then he just, like... <laughs> 
starts clutching at his neck and being like, oh God, what's happening to me? And y'all, 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 this fucking monster barfs up a butterfly in front of this child, which means, A, it has like the shortest pupil fucking, the shortest pupil stage imaginable that it went from caterpillar to pupa to butterfly in his throat in like 30 minutes or less. Uh, but this is just, <laughs> it's, it's wild. It's fucking bananas. And Toru is initially mystified as he fucking should be before he goes, it's the great purple emperor. I got to catch it. So we cut into the Megazord cockpit where Dan sees this butterfly and goes, oh shit, the great purple emperor. I got to catch it. And he jumps out of the Megazord onto its head and then jumps down and catches the butterfly in midair for Toru. And when he lands, he's unmorphed. So he demorphed midair and he gives Toru his obviously very fake butterfly. And finally, we cut back to the park with the water fountain and Michiko is out of the hospital and Toru is with her. They're watching this butterfly and they are holding hands as the Z Rangers all watch from a distance and smile and Geki like claps Dan on the back. And that is our episode. All right, Pat, final thoughts. I like the light that this episode put Dan in like this very much put Dan in a position to do well by this child. And I think he did pretty well. I mean, I can understand some of his faux pas like, ah, oh, why is that caterpillar important? Oh, it's your dad who was in jail. Well, what about your mom? Oh, your mom's dead. Hmm. <laughs> like, but he did, he did pretty well by the kid. And I'm pretty happy to see Dan actually not be a complete and total shit. Yeah, like, they definitely, they did a character assassination on Dan over the last two episodes in particular. And it's nice to get a Dan-focused episode that paints him in a better light. I, I, I do specifically like the fact that they didn't just do a complete 180 on his character and just make him suddenly a saint. Like, he's still mischievous and amorous and kind of a dick, but... He's got uh, like a degree of humanity and good nature and, and sense of responsibility that was previously subdued, if not altogether missing. And he's a much better rounded and just better person as a result. He's taking his vow to Geki at the end of the, uh, what was that? Was that last episode of the episode before that? That was the last episode. Yeah, his vow to Geki at the end of the last episode. Very seriously, it seems. It's it's definitely, you know, shaken part of his character. So I will say this was the most Power Rangers episode of Z-U Ranger we've gotten thus far in, in that it was incredibly episodic. Like, again, none of the events really permanently affect our heroes in any way. Um, it's it's kind of it's about the journey rather than the destination. And it's very character driven. And I thought it was really good. That being said, I feel like it does the Power Rangers format worse than Power Rangers does, specifically because there wasn't really an episode B plot that really focused on the team. Like, obviously, like the A plot focusing on Toru and Michiko and like, again, Dan's all of their interaction with it, but specifically Dan's interaction with it. All of that was very good. But like, we didn't really get more than that of our heroes in a way that Power Rangers usually gives us. Um, ironically, the episode that this one pairs with, uh, Different Drum, doesn't give us much of that either beyond, like, again, we see Kimberly in a different light and in different settings, but, like, we don't get, like, 
the episode is not driven by like a goal or a need or a personal situation Kimberly has going on. And so like in that way, they're very similar, but that's not, I think the norm for Power Rangers episodes. And I like that character focused B plot that they tend to provide us. I think a little bit better. I do specifically like, I like different drum. I think better than I better than I can see. I can see not by a huge margin, but like, I just thought that that was a really well put together episode of power Rangers. Um, and, and I think that I like it better than this a little bit, even if this episode made more continuity sense from beginning to end. I do think that it's fucking wild that the rope net over the cave entrance from different drum that just thwarted fucking Melissa for no reason at all was not from the Sentai. There is no nope, shot didn't of it even here. Show up. <laughs> that was a Power Rangers ass decision and I am mystified. So I agree with you on a lot of your points. Like, I think Power Rangers did this episode very well. Different Drum was a very good episode. There are a few parts that I like from the Sentai better. Specifically, I like the unmorphed fight. And as fast as it was, I feel like the morphed fight and Zord fight just felt smoother, just felt better. I don't know. It was weird. Like the end of this episode made me feel some sort of confusion. It is really hard, I think, for Power Rangers to compete with Sentai when it comes to the action scenes, unless they have a really good all-original action scene in there, like they did in fucking High Five mm-hmm. <laughs> with the human chain. Uh, because at the end of the day, they're just using the Sentai footage, but cut in ways that it wasn't meant to be cut, which is going to make it more stilted and jarring and weird sometimes. Right. But but yeah, like overall, these are both really good episodes of their respective shows. I think Power Rangers might do filler better. We'll see if that's true overall or just for this one. But yeah, it was it was good. It was a solid 20 minutes of entertainment. Uh, Dora Goblin is no Dora Sphinx in, in by any stretch of the imagination. OK, slightly less uh, serious question. Yeah. How do you think those kids handled being sauteed? Oh, no. Oh, no. Pat, <laughs> we are backing away from this line of inquiry very quickly before Vor finds us. No. Oh, fair point. <laughs> fair point. Forget I said anything. <laughs> that is our show today, ladies and gentlemen. As always, if you want to communicate with us, guess what? That's really good news. We want to communicate with you, too. Uh, you can email the show at bandorapod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at bandorapod. And... If you're new here, like, welcome. Or if you're not new here, then, hey, I'm glad that you've decided to stick around. And if you haven't yet, be sure to click that subscribe button on your podcatcher of choice and rate and review the show if your particular podcatcher allows that, if that is a function. Uh, It's really, really helpful, especially for a new podcast. Um, Like, you know, we are all run by the algorithm, whether that is Google or Apple or or YouTube or or whoever. And, And especially early on, like those types of engagement tell the search engine that that we're a show that people are going to search for and it makes us more visible. So we really appreciate those things. Also, we just want to hear from you guys about how you think we're doing. Now, as always, if you are interested in doing so, you can follow me personally at BBR Jolly on Twitter. And you can find me at Poker Ranger Pat also on Twitter and on Twitch. And we will be back on Thursday continuing Kia Ryu Sentai Z Ranger with episode eight, Terror Eaten in an instant. Oh man, the vor's back. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> 
We're going to run away before the fetish community finds us. As always, I have been Steven. And I'm Pat. And we have to go because we have a headache. Somebody bring me an aspirin.